Welcome to the Faith to You podcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Schrader. You know, our society has declared war on sexuality. They have decided to redefine what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Because of that, I want to take a few weeks to focus on what Scripture says. What does Scripture teach us about manhood and womanhood? I want to start by setting the stage. Why, why is this an important topic? I'm going to spend the next two weeks just talking about why, why we need to shore up our defenses in the church for scriptural definitions of manhood and womanhood. I'm going to give you four reasons for why this is an issue. What is on the line? The first thing that's on the line when we talk about biblical manhood and womanhood is the gospel itself. The gospel itself. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 that the gospel is put on display through the proper relationship of men and women in marriage. The gospel is a Adorned as men and women fulfill their roles within the covenant of marriage. He says this in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It says a wife submits to her husband as to the Lord. He goes on in verse 24, he says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. See, the issue with submission isn't whether or not your husband is worthy of that submission. It's how you're adorning the gospel. And in the gospel, what do we do? We confess Jesus as Lord. And so what that means is that that women are given the responsibility within the covenant of marriage to adorn the godly submission of the church to Christ. They embody, they incarnate what that submission looks like. Well, it's not just a responsibility of women to adorn the gospel. It's also for men. It says this in 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word. What this is telling us is that husbands adorn the gospel by their self-sacrificial love. Now, now think about this. This isn't describing a relationship, a marriage where husbands are lording it over their submissive wife. This is describing a marriage where husband and wife are seeking to outdo each other in showing honor. A husband is seeking the lowest place. He's not trying to assert authority. That's not what godly biblical authority looks like. What he's doing is he's asking the question, how can I sacrifice so that Christ is put on display? So a husband is adorning the sacrificial love of Christ that came to seek and to save the lost, that came to die for the sins of the church. That's what a husband puts on display. So the first thing that's on the line when we talk about biblical manhood and womanhood is the gospel. And when we don't walk in the fullness of what God has designed in marriage, in male and female relationship, then we're telling lies about the gospel. The second thing that's on the line is the church. It's not just God's design for family to function this way, but it's also he has a design for the church. Something that's so important to understand is that when God created male and female, he created them, it says, in the image of God. And what that tells us is that there's 
equality there. First Peter 3 says that you you need to recognize that your wife is a co-heir with you. And what that means, that word co-heir means equal heir. And so men and women are equal in their value, in their dignity, and in their worth, but they're different in their roles. So in the family, there's different roles that they have. In the church, there's different roles that they have. One of those differences we see in Paul's outline for the church in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, it says this, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now, I'm going to get more into this passage later on. What I want to show you here is that the construction of the church is put on display through the proper placing of male and female into their roles within the church. What's on, what's on the line? The gospel and the church. If we fulfill the roles that we have within the church, we are adorning not just the gospel, but the church as well. We're demonstrating the beauty of the bride that Christ is building. Christ has decided he's going to build the church a certain way. He's going to put it together in a particular way. And we are not to change the formula. Do you remember the story of Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron? After God gave them ingredients for the incense that they're supposed to burn in the temple, they decided to get creative with that incense. They changed some of the ingredients. They turned it around some. Do you remember what God did? He said fire came out from the Lord and consumed them. Why? Because they sought to take what God had designed and twist it. We're in danger of doing the same thing within the church if we decide, you know what, we're going to put women in positions of authority over men, even though it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. We're going to put women in positions where they're teaching men, even though God's word says not to do that. We're going to come up with our own ideals. We're going to mix it a different way. We're going to come up with something a little bit different. And we see not only in the Old Testament that God judges very strict when people reject his prescription, his description of how he wants things put together. But we also see God responding in anger when people reject the roles he's given them. Think back to the time where Aaron and Miriam came to Moses, and they were angry because Moses was the leader of Israel, and they wanted his position. Both Miriam and Aaron said, you know, we're prophets as well. God speaks to us. He speaks to you. We should be able to be the leader of the children of Israel. And plus, you're married to a non-Israelite. That that makes it so that you're not qualified to be our leader. We should be the ones in charge. Do you remember how God responded to that? We find it in Numbers 12. And it says this, number 12, 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now God's response is, you don't understand. Moses is in a role that's unique to him in all of history. God says, I don't speak to any other prophet like I speak to Moses. I talk to him like a friend face to face. And you remember what happens? Miriam is struck with leprosy. She has to go outside of the camp. 
She has to, she has to leave. Mar- Moses has to pray for her to be healed. Why? Because God takes the roles that he's given to his people seriously. We see that principle outlined for us in the Old Testament as people sought to reject those roles. Another example is Korah's rebellion. You might remember Korah in the Old Testament. He was a Levite, and he saw what Aaron and the high, Aaron as the high priest and those from Aaron's family were able to do, and he wanted to do that. You see, there was a family within the Levites that was given the job of handling the holy things. And everybody else, all the other Levites, they weren't allowed to do that. And so Korah, he got people together, and they led a rebellion against Aaron. They said, we want to be the ones who handle the holy things. Do you remember how God responded to that? Well, it says in Numbers 16, Numbers 16, 3, it says, They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now think about this. What they're saying is true. There's not one person who's more holy than another. We're all sinners saved by grace. We all need God just as much. This is all true. We're equal. And a view of different roles does not mean there's a lack of equality and value. And this is one of the things that happens when people reject God's word. They reject his roles. They're seeing that if there's a different role, that means that you're not equal. That's not how God sees it. It's not how he puts it together. Look what happens. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. He spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. And once again, fire comes out from the Lord and consumes Korah and all those who are in rebellion. Why? Because God takes the roles that he has appointed seriously. And that's not to say that there's not an equality, but God is the one who determines how he puts the church together, and we honor his design. So first two things that are on the line when it comes to biblical manhood and womanhood is the gospel and the church. Us fulfilling our proper roles within the family and within the church adorn the gospel and they adorn the church. I'm going to talk next time about the next two reasons that biblical manhood and womanhood is so important for today. Thank you for listening.